This morning, <clears throat> we're going to talk together about the subject of divorce. Divorce was a major topic at the time uh, that Jesus walked on the earth and Mark's gospel was written. It's still a major topic today. <clears throat> I think every one of us, in different ways and in different forms, have been touched or affected by divorce. Some of us here this morning are divorced. Some of us here grew up in families where our parents got divorced. Some of us here right now are contemplating divorce and are convinced it's the best path for us. Some of us are being asked our advice for friends or family members who are considering divorce. Some of us are angry about the ways that divorce has, has wounded us. Some of us are refusing to have things to do with those in our lives who are engaged in divorce. Some of us have bitterness or anger about divorce. Some of us have been unable to forgive ourselves or others for divorce. Some of us are confused on the issue and what the world says and what God says. All in all, it's a complex and difficult subject. But fortunately for us, God has not left us to figure this out on our own. That Jesus himself realized the complexity of divorce, the difficulty of it, but the reality of it, and he spoke into the situation. And today we're going to look at the very words of Jesus spoken 2,000 years ago and being spoken again today to our hearts. And let me just encourage you as we look at this passage. Every word that we hear from God is always for our good. And even when it brings conviction, when we respond to that conviction, there are untold blessings waiting for us. When it brings instruction, it's like the sun on a cloudy day. We can suddenly see. When it brings comfort, we are encouraged. When it brings guidance, we know what to do. But every word from God is meant for our good and to bless us. And so today, as we launch into what Jesus had to say about divorce, my prayer and hope is that we will come with ears to hear not what we want to hear, but what God has to say about it. So if you will, please take a Bible and turn to the book of Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you're using one of the church Bibles, they look like this. They're in the rack in front of you. Mark 10 is page 821. 821. Mark chapter 10. If you're using one of the church Bibles, it's pretty easy to find the section we're in. It has the boldface titled Divorce, and that's the section we're looking at. I'm going to read for us verses 1 to 16. You might feel like when I get to verse 12 that I should be stopping. There's a very specific reason I believe Mark has included verses 13 and 16 after verses 1 to 12, and I think it's relevant for our topic this morning. So I'm going to be reading all the way through to verse 16. Mark 10. 
says, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? Jesus replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. So this conversation begins when Pharisees come to Jesus in the midst of a teaching session and they say, well, I've got a question for you. Let's talk about divorce. They said this to test him, but Jesus uses it as an opportunity to speak into this all-too-present reality that is an issue today and was an issue then and is going to be an issue into the future. And Jesus says back to them as they ask him, what are we supposed to do about divorce? Jesus says, well, what does the Bible say? And by that he means especially the first five books of the law, the books of Moses. Jesus says, what did Moses command you? Now I want you to pay careful attention to what's going on here. Jesus says, what did Moses command you? Their response in verse 4, they said, Moses, what? Permitted. Notice the difference. Jesus is asking, what is the command that God gave through Moses? Their response is, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, what the Pharisees, who are teachers of the law, meaning they're well-versed in the Scriptures... What they're referring to is a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is what they're alluding to. That passage, written by Moses, says this. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house, And if after she leaves his house, she becomes the wife of another man, and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, 
gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again after she has been defiled. That would be detestable in the eyes of the Lord. Do not bring sin upon the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now I want you to look very closely at this passage. Is there actually a command about divorce in this passage? No. There's one command in the passage. It's not about divorce, is it? What's it about? It's about remarriage. There is a command in this passage, but it is about remarriage. There is an implication or an assumption in this passage about divorce, meaning you wouldn't have a command about remarriage unless divorce was permitted in certain cases. This is the passage that the Pharisees go to, and they say, well, yes, God permitted divorce. It's written in the book of the law. Jesus says to their response, verse 5, you're right. Deuteronomy 24 is a valid text. It was written by God Almighty, and it does indeed express some of his thoughts about the subject of divorce. However, Jesus says, what I asked you was, what's the command about divorce? Relevant passage, but you've not started in the right spot. And what Jesus wants to do is show the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and us, if we're going to understand what God says about divorce, this cannot be our foundational text. This cannot be the place that we start. There is somewhere else we need to start where there is actually a command about divorce in the Old Testament. And so Jesus backs the Pharisees up from Deuteronomy back to Genesis. And in Jesus' comments, he quotes from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and essentially says, you're starting with the wrong text. Deuteronomy 24, valid text, important text, but that's not the place to start. In Genesis, what Jesus is going to do in this passage He's going to give us two truths about marriage and then the command about divorce. So two truths about marriage and then the command about divorce. We're in verse 6. But at the beginning of creation, God, and then do you see in the NIV it's got one single quote before made the male and female and then a close quote? That is Jesus quoting Genesis chapter 1. And the first point he's making about marriage is that marriage is designed by God to be between a man and a woman. Now the governments of this world can and some do acknowledge marriages between two men or two women. But God is not acknowledging marriage in those cases because something mystical and mysterious and miraculous happens 
between a man and a woman in marriage. It has nothing to do with civil unions. It has everything to do that when a man and a woman come together in marriage, God supernaturally and miraculously makes them into one flesh. And for whatever reason, that's not possible between two men, and it's not possible between two women. That when God created and instituted marriage, it is to be between a man and a woman because what God does is make one flesh out of the two of them. And the way he designed it is only possible for a man and a woman. Well, what causes a man and a woman to become one flesh? Jesus says, verse 7, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The second truth about marriage is that God creates a marriage bond when two things happen. You'll have to forgive me, but I'm a visual learner. Here's a graphic to help sort of explain what it is that I'm trying to communicate. On the left side, you see an M and a W that stands for man and a woman. When two things happen, number one, when there is a decision to marry, that's in verse 7. This is still a quote from Genesis. It's not from Genesis 2. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, meaning there is a conscious decision to enter into a marriage relationship. And when a man and a woman decide to be married, that is a necessary component for marriage to happen. Typically in the United States, this happens during a wedding ceremony. It happens when vows are given. But in the end, it's not the ceremony that makes a marriage. It's the decision. The decision to choose to be married. The second thing that has to happen, verse 7, still quoting Genesis 2, and be united to his wife. That's referring to sexual intercourse. And Jesus is saying, when these two things are present, a decision to marry and sexual intercourse, then God does something miraculous. He takes the man and the woman, and he miraculously transforms them into husband and wife, and binds them together with a supernatural bond that he himself creates so that somehow, in some way, in a mystical, mysterious sort of way, two individuals have now become one flesh. If you have just one of these and not the other, God does not create a marriage bond. If you have the decision to marry but do not have sexual intercourse with your spouse, it's an unconsummated marriage and it can be annulled. If you have sex with another person, but do not make a decision to marry that person, it's just premarital sex. And in neither case does God create that marriage bond. But Jesus says, when both are present, the decision 
and the sexual intercourse. God from heaven, both for Christians and for non-Christians, miraculously creates a bond between these two people, and they become one flesh. Those are the two truths about marriage. That prepares us for the command about divorce. Jesus says there is a command about divorce. It's just not found in Deuteronomy 24. It's found all the way back in Genesis 2, and the command is this, verse 9, Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The command is, when God creates a bond between two people, humans are not to separate that bond. So the command is, do not get divorced. From the very beginning, at the moment of creation, when humans were created, God laid down this command before sin entered the equation. God said, the command that is true for all time, do not get divorced. So, what is Jesus saying in this passage? What he's saying is, there's a command. There's also a passage in Deuteronomy 24. How do we put these together? The summary is, God commands us not to get divorced, Genesis 2, but divorce is permitted in certain cases because of the sinfulness of human hearts. That after sin entered the equation, God also wrote Deuteronomy 24. And Deuteronomy 24 is just as valid a word from the Lord as Genesis 1 and 2 are. So if we put these together, it's a recognition that from the beginning, God's command has been, is, and will be, do not get divorced. But there is also a recognition that because of our sinfulness, because some of us get entrapped by sin and Satan and death and give way to abuse or alcoholism or anger or whatever it may be, that in certain cases, divorce is permitted. Genesis 2, don't get divorced. Deuteronomy 24, it is permitted in certain cases. Now, this is super important to get this right. And because it's complex, Jesus not only says it in Mark 10, he provides us with an inspired interpretation of Mark 10 to help us make sure that we've heard Jesus correctly. I'd like to show that to you. Please, and I'd like you to see it on the page, turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians 7. It's page 927. 1 Corinthians 7. In Mark 10, Jesus is talking about Genesis 2 and Deuteronomy 24. In 1 Corinthians 7, the Holy Spirit has the Apostle Paul write and explain Mark 10 to us to make sure that we got Jesus' point exactly the way we were supposed to get it. So Mark 10, verses 10 and 11. To the married, I give this command. And do you see in parentheses where it says, 
not I but the Lord? That's a reference to the fact that Paul is saying, I'm simply restating what Jesus said in Mark 10. What we're about to get in verses 10 and 11 is the Holy Spirit who's inspired Paul to help us to understand Mark 10. If for a moment you look down to verse 12, to the rest I say this, and then you see what says in parentheses there, I, not the Lord, what that's referring to is there's a special case in verses 12 to 16, which is what do you do if a believer is married to an unbeliever? Paul says, I'm going to tell you what the Holy Spirit wants done in that case, but that was not a particular case that Jesus himself addressed when he was on earth. But in verses 10 and 11, what did Jesus say? Second half of verse 10, a wife must not separate from her husband. In other words, the command is what? Do not get divorced. That's the command in Mark 10. It was the command in Genesis 2. It's affirmed again in 1 Corinthians 7. We're reading Mark 10 correctly. If we hear God saying the command is don't get divorced. Verse 11. But if she does, and the phrase that's used for but if she does is a Greek phrase that's used other places in Scripture, including in 1 Corinthians 7, in verse 28, and verse 39, for allowable exceptions to a rule. The command, do not get divorced, but if she does, and then Paul goes on to say, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. Same exact point. We're reading Mark 10 correctly. The command is do not get divorced, but there are certain cases where divorce is permitted because of the hardness of human hearts, because of the effects of sin in the world. Paul says, if you do end up getting divorced, you must not remarry. That's an allusion back to the rest of Jesus' teaching in Mark 10 that we haven't gotten to yet. So turn back to Mark 10, and let's look at the rest of what Jesus says. He finishes the teaching. God commands us not to get divorced, but divorce is permitted in certain cases because of the sinfulness of human hearts. Verse 10, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. So not surprisingly, this raised some questions. It's a hard topic. It's difficult to understand. And so Jesus in verses 11 and 12, oops, Jesus in verses 11 and 12 is going to explain further the seriousness of what he's talking about. He says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Same point Paul was making. Divorce, God commands us not to engage in it. But if we do, because there are certain cases, because of sinfulness, that it's permitted... In those cases, you must not remarry. Paul says it. Jesus says it. If you do, 
It's adultery. What's going on? Well, back to our graphic. What Jesus is trying to show is the seriousness of the marriage bond that God has formed. And what essentially you have, when a husband and wife get married, when a man and woman get married, and God miraculously creates a marriage bond, in this country, we usually notify the U.S. government through a marriage license. We are registering as being married with the government. Jesus is acknowledging, that's not just true in the United States, that's been true for governments throughout history. When a person chooses to get divorced, what they're doing is, is they're getting a judgment of divorce from the government, and the judgment of divorce nullifies the marriage license. But the issue is, the government did not create the miraculous bond. The government cannot sever the miraculous bond. And the issue is, although in the government's mind, these two people are no longer legally related to one another, in God's mind, they're still married. And Jesus' point is, if the husband or the wife, were to marry someone else, and by implications have sex with that person, it would be adultery because they're still married in God's eyes. And that's why Jesus says, yes, divorce is permitted in certain situations because of sin, but you can't get remarried, not because God's angry or because it's punitive, It's simply the reality of the fact that when you got married, a miraculous bond was created by God. And humans do not have the power to sever that bond. And Jesus says that's how important what God did is, is you simply can't marry someone else or it would be adultery. This, of course, raises the question, Are there any situations in which God himself chooses to sever the bond he created? Whatever God creates, he can destroy. Are there situations where God himself chooses to sever that bond? Mark does not talk about those things, but they are talked about other places in Scripture. And if I were to compile them for you, there are three cases that God gives us in the scriptures where he himself severs the bond and people can get remarried and have it not be adultery. The first case is Romans 7, the death of a spouse. For example, Romans 7 says, by law a married woman is what? Bound. Do you hear that language? This is not civil language, it's not legal language, it is metaphysical language. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, if she marries another man. It's pretty straightforward. 
when one of the spouses dies, God severs the marriage bond, and the remaining spouse is free to remarry, form a new bond with a different person, and it's not considered adultery. Second case is more disputed, but it is the belief at the view of Calvary Church. It's also the view of some throughout church history, but not all. And that is in the case of abandonment by an unbelieving spouse. This is found in 1 Corinthians 7, the same passage we were just looking at. It's the section in 12 through 16 that I said Paul was talking about something that Jesus himself didn't mention in Mark 10. It's this. If you have an unbeliever married to a believer, and the assumption is, is that they were both unbelievers when they got married and one of them became saved, but it's possible that they sinned and when the unbeliever married, or the believer married an unbeliever. If you have a situation where you have an unbeliever married to a believer, and the unbeliever chooses to divorce and chooses to leave, Paul says, if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not what? Bound in such circumstances. And again, the language that's used there seems to indicate that God himself is severing the marriage bond. And so if you have abandonment by an unbelieving spouse, God in heaven chooses by his own power to sever that bond. The third case is more common, and I want to spend a little more time talking about it. The third case is mentioned in Matthew 19, and it's marital infidelity. There Jesus says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for what? Sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. What's happening in this third situation? Well, again, back to our graphic. If you have a husband and wife who are one flesh, if you get the same two things reversed, that created the marriage bond, meaning if you have the decision to divorce and sex with another person, then God chooses to miraculously sever the marriage bond between the couple. Now, when you hear this, you might think, well, but this has to happen in a particular order, doesn't it? Like a married couple, the husband would have to have the affair with the wife first, with, the, with, the, with another woman first, and then there should be a decision to divorce, and then in that case, God would sever the bond. You would think so, but that doesn't seem to be the way this works. These two things can come in either order. Meaning, you can have a couple who for whatever reasons, because of the hardness of sinful hearts, choose to go to the U.S. government and get a divorce. They are divorced in the government's eyes, but not in God's eyes. If the husband in that marriage chooses to marry another woman, makes a decision to marry her and has sex with her, he now has formed, God will form a marriage bond between the husband and the second wife you cannot be one flesh with two different people at the same time. 
And so God severs the bond between the husband and the first wife. So even though the decision to divorce came first and then the infidelity, it still severs the marriage bond. But I should also say it is still adultery. Now, adultery can be forgiven. All things can be forgiven. And God can be gracious and is gracious. And that second marriage, which was birthed out of a decision to divorce and sexual immorality, can be blessed and ordained by God. But you have to understand, it was birthed in adultery. And in that situation, there does need to be confession, perhaps to the first wife, most assuredly to God, before that blessing and grace can be experienced. So to summarize, the command of God in the Old Testament, in Genesis 2, in Mark 10, in 1 Corinthians 7, from the very beginning, is do not get divorced. The acknowledgement of God in Deuteronomy 24, in Mark 10, and in 1 Corinthians 7 is because of the sinfulness of humanity. It's possible, and it does happen, that two Christians who in the time in which they got married were both devoted to the Lord, that one of them can be taken captive to pornography or to abuse or to alcoholism and become a kind of person that it simply is not possible to go forward with, that God does permit divorce in certain cases. You say, well, which cases? It's his call, and it's how the Spirit leads, and I can't give a judgment universally on that. What I can say is, if in those cases divorce happens, you must not remarry or it will be adultery, except if you have the death of a spouse, abandonment by an unbelieving spouse, or marital infidelity. I will say, divorce, the reason why it's not commanded by God is because it always causes harm. It's always painful. It's always difficult. But I want you to hear this. God is always gracious. God is always forgiving. There are some here, I said, who can't forgive themselves for divorce and in reality some adultery. But God can and does forgive you. And what I want you to understand this morning is the reason why. I didn't wake up this week and think, oh good, I get to talk about divorce. <laughs> but I am glad to be up here because when you hear the word of God, when you hear what God says and you respond, it always, always, always results in blessing. And that leads me to my last and most important point. What Jesus says about divorce is not nearly as important as our attitude toward what Jesus says about divorce. What I mean by that is remember in verse 2, some Pharisees came and what? Tested him. Their question is not coming from a good place. 
divorce, the issue has always been something that Satan loves to use to trip people up. You can listen to Jesus' teaching on divorce and think, that's too harsh. Aren't people just supposed to be happy? You can listen to Jesus' teaching on divorce and think, that's too lenient. God should not permit divorce in any situation. You can listen to Jesus' teaching on divorce and the whole time be thinking, wait, wait, you just said permitted. You just said it's permitted. I'm now free to go do what I want to do. You can listen to Jesus' teaching about divorce and look for loopholes. You mean that if I'm married to a person and I divorce that person and I go marry another person, then it does actually end up breaking the marriage bow and all I got to do is confess the adultery and I get on and be married to who I want to be married to? Listen, if you are looking for loopholes, you will always find loopholes. That's why I'm saying the most important thing is your attitude towards this. If you come to what God has to say about this and say, I've already decided in my mind what I think about my parents' divorce or what I think about getting divorced currently or what I think about my friend who got divorced. If you've already decided what it is that you think, if you're going to sit in judgment on God and what he says, it's never going to work. And no decision that you make to divorce or to stay. Listen, if the Spirit is leading you out of an abusive marriage, you're supposed to follow the Spirit. But if you've decided you're going to do what the world says or what somebody else says instead of what God is leading you to do, you're never going to get the decision right. It's wrong to stay. It's wrong to leave. You'll always be wrong. If, on the other hand, and this is why I felt like the Spirit is including verses 13 to 16 at the end of this passage. If, on the other hand, you consider the example of a little child that Jesus brings into the midst and says, listen, you want to know what the right attitude is? It's not the Pharisees. There are answers to every question that they have. But they've come with the attitude of how do I get Jesus to allow me to do the things I want to do. The problem with Deuteronomy 24 is not that God wrote it. The problem with Deuteronomy 24 is the same sinful hearts that God had to write Deuteronomy 24 decided they wanted to use Deuteronomy 24 to do whatever they felt like doing. I don't want to be married anymore and so I've found a passage that's going to let me do what I want to do. Jesus says that's the worst possible attitude. What's the right attitude? Look at this little child. Look at this child, the way they trust, the way they submit, the way they're willing to believe by faith. I guarantee you that that little child did not understand all this stuff. Why is he embraced by Jesus? Because in his ignorance, he's willing to say, but I trust you. Listen, I don't know why God chose that marriage had to be between a man and a woman, why it's only possible for one, a man and a woman to become one flesh. I don't know that. I don't know why you have these three exceptions that you can get remarried and not more. I don't know why God has these things about divorce. I don't understand all of those things. It's simply what Jesus has said. But I do know that whatever he says is for our good. And if you come and you say, you know what? I got marriage trial. I want to get divorced, but I hear Jesus telling me I'm not supposed to. If you're willing, I don't know how it's going to work out. I can't tell you you're not going to be miserable. I can't tell you that everything's going to be okay. I can tell you, same thing that happens to this little child. 
he took the child in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. That if you choose that same attitude to trust and obey, if you're willing to say, you know what? I don't know what was going on in my parents' divorce. That's not for me to judge. I'm going to choose to forgive them. If you say, you know what? I'm not sure why my friend chose to get divorced. If you're willing to say, you know what, I'm not sure why God allowed me to marry that person in the first place and why that whole marriage fell apart. If you're willing to say, you know what, Lord, I am where I am because I'm a sinful person, but I'm going to end up where I end up because you're a gracious God, you're going to be okay. And whether you understand all of the details of all this stuff, whether you can draw your own diagrams, that's not the point. The point is when you hear the word of the Lord speaking into your situation. Are you willing to obey? Are you willing to forgive? Are you willing to accept forgiveness? Are you willing to trust? Are you willing to think that this God who miraculously created marriage and blesses it with his spirit and his power will not abandon you if you follow his spirit? His spirit loves you. He understands how abuse works. He gets how alcoholism works. He understands anger. He understands it's hard for two people to become one flesh in reality. He understands that you're being bombarded with the world. He gets how infidelity works. He understands all those things and knows you better than you know yourself and wants better for you than you could ever want for yourself if you will listen to him and submit to him and trust him and walk in whatever paths he sends you to walk down. You will experience the blessing of God. So I'm not afraid to share Jesus' words with you because his words are life. And if they bring conviction and you repent, there will be life. And if it brings guidance and you follow, there will be life. And if it shows you something that you should have thought of earlier and you listen, there will be life. And if it teaches you that God is a God of grace and truth, you will experience life. Let's pray together. Lord, we're no different than the rest of humans throughout history. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage befuddles us. It confuses us. We've been damaged by it. Our own sinfulness and the sinfulness of others. Lord, we've made a mess of this world, of our marriages, of the church, But God, we submit before you today that you are a holy, loving, kind, and gracious God. Please, Lord, open our eyes and let us see. Please, Lord, there are so many voices in our ears telling us to do this, to do that, to think this way, to think that way. Let your word cut through all of that like a two-edged sword. Let it pierce down into our very motives and thoughts and ideas. Jesus, your word is life. Sanctify us through your word that we might experience true freedom. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.